Welcome to Brewcast Show from Mason Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. Good to be back with you on another May edition. I am Luke Giardi, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani here with you recording on a Monday afternoon heading into Tuesday and what should be a fun one here. Had a ton of fun uh, last week with our top five must-watch movies. We went in a different direction last week. We appreciate all the uh, conversation that uh, was brought about because of that episode, so thank you for listening. But uh, we're going to have another fun one here. We're going to get back to Michigan sports, but we're going to do something a little different. Anthony, Chris, what's going on, guys? Not much. Good to be back. Uh, got through another week of being stuck at home without a end in sight for now. But again, me being the glass half full guy that I am, uh, I think we're getting close to getting some normal things back. So I'm doing okay today. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in the same boat right now. This has been such a exhausting experience. I mean, I, I'm kind of waiting on pins and needles right now. Obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that baseball is potentially maybe sort of trying to be the first sport back. Um, a deal was proposed today um, by the owners uh and they're gonna they're gonna show it to the to the players union very soon about a potential eighty game season. Uh, I talked about this on my my other podcast. I kind of don't think it's gonna happen because I think there's uh, not enough in it for the players union to sign off on. But that's a conversation for another day. But besides that, yeah, I, I mean everyone's kind of in the same boat at, at this point. Where it does feel like the the worst of this is over. We're getting closer and closer to. I can't call it a return to normalcy because I don't know if if we'll ever get back to that point. But a, a return to sports, hopefully, and a return to the things to the outlets that uh, we we hold so dearly. So it's a it's a strange time for sure. Well, we don't have any you know sports to talk about here for you now, but it is what if week over at SB Nation. So we're going to do a Michigan sports what if edition and. I had a tough time narrowing my down. I don't know if you guys did, but there are so many what ifs that we've gone through because, well, it's been many times where Michigan has gotten so close but failed to reach that peak and uh, many what ifs that could have gone a different way and we might be happier fans here. So let's get into it. And Chris, we'll start with you. What is your biggest what if in Michigan history? Well, there's there's a few, especially recent history that I could have gone with. Could have gone with what if the block was clean in 2013, uh, Trey Burke's block on Peyton Siva in the 2013 NCAA uh, Basketball National Championship game. Very close to going with JT was short. Uh, but the one I went with, just because I think it had uh, such a, a seismic impact on the legacies of three different coaches and three different programs, was uh, Blake O'Neill's trouble with the snap, the muffed punt in the Michigan State game in 2015 that obviously Harbaugh's first year at Michigan. And this is obviously a huge what if in Michigan history, it's a huge what if, but it's an even bigger what if in big 10 and really in college football history for, I mean, for one, uh, let's just the, the narrative I'm running with here is that Blake O'Neill catches the punt, gets the punt away. MSU doesn't have anybody, anybody back. The game's over. So let, if we, if we go by that logic, um, run with that narrative. Uh, Michigan beats Harbaugh, or I'm sorry, Michigan beats D'Antonio in his fir- their first year. I think there would be a whole con- contingency of people, and this probably wouldn't be fair, but it would be that way anyway, of people who would believe that the 
uh, golden age of Michigan State football uh, was more so impacted by Michigan's uh, downturn into irrelevance there for you know about a somewhere between about a five to eight year stretch with Hoke and and, and uh, Rich Rod. But you also have a different Big Ten champion that year. Urban Meyer would have ended up winning another uh, Big Ten title. Michigan State would have suffered two losses in the Big Ten as opposed to Ohio State's one. Michigan would have finished with 10 wins in the regular season, would have probably been a different matchup in the bowl game, but maybe they they get a win number 11. It, I think that there would be, and obviously going 0-5 against Ohio State, not having a Big Ten title by now is a, a massive blow to Harbaugh's legacy and will continue to be. But I think that in 11-win season, in year one, even to the the most uh, positive optimists out there, would have been viewed as an even more overwhelming success than it, it already was. And you have three different coaches whose legacies are completely impacted. I think the fact that D'Antonio has that extra Big Ten title and winning a Big Ten title in a year where, one, Ohio State was loaded, and two, Harbaugh was still at Michigan, has had a massive impact on all these coaches' legacies. Look at what MSU did in the four years following that. Three and nine, you have kind of a weird, kind of fluky 10 and three season, and then back-to-back seven and six years, but you still have that one Big Ten title season where you make the playoff. MSU does not have a college football playoff appearance if not for that moment, a, a massive moment in the history of college football. That, to me, is the biggest what-if uh, that, that I that I felt like talking about this week in terms of Michigan sports. That's a tremendous one. Um, you reacted? I can remember being – that was the first Michigan-Michigan State game that I covered as media. That was my first year running the site. And I just remember – I may have told this story here on the pod before, but I remember being – game story was done. I mean, there were, what, 13 seconds left? You just have to punt the ball away. This game is over. The game story was done. Um, back in those times, I was doing coverage on my own. Um, so it was going to be a pretty somewhat stress-free post game, um, at least in terms of getting that story up quickly. Um, I then learned you should never have a game story all the way done or not ready to just have some blanks filled in at the end of the game. I had to delete everything. Um, again, I think... Uh, you know, Chris goes a little bit deeper into the what it means for um, kind of the triumvirate of the the Big Ten East, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, on a on a smaller scale, I just think you know to go from two and two against Mark D'Antonio to three and one um, would have just really been a stranglehold on the series that kind of plays into the fact that uh, you know a lot of people believe that. Michigan State's rise to power had a lot to do with uh, school down the road being down for five to eight years, like you said. So uh, just on that alone, I think that that is certainly one of the, you know, like I said, that that one moment may have bought Mark D'Antonio at least a few more years at Michigan State. I, I'm not sure, uh, like I said, if he didn't retire, he'd probably still be coaching there. So it's hard to say that, um, but his legacy looks a heck of a lot different after that moment than it would have, if, uh, you know, just fumbled or didn't fumble the punt away. So yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. Yeah. And I think it, 
I do think that that game, that what if, almost has more to do with the legacy of Michigan State because I don't because I don't think that win really changes much for Michigan that year, does it? I mean, there's well, well it would have put potentially been Harbaugh's first and only 11 win season besides that in terms of you would have been big playing standings and legacy not so much you would have been playing for a chance to go to Indy the last week of the year yeah I think would be what that changes um right and, yeah, then, and then we we get our hearts ripped out again right that last game because wow. <laughs> yeah. you know about that, game, that that 2015 Ohio State game I know it was what 42 to 13 but yeah. Um, that was just one that kind of got away from them late. All the right. other ones, have, to, to a certain extent, um, all of them except for you know 2016 and 2017 have been that. So, you know, that's not a silver lining. But and, yeah. and, go ahead, Chris. Well, no, I was just saying what's uh, Ohio State came into that Michigan game that year, and there were a lot of people, and I'll, be, I'll admit it before we were. Uh, you know, we became jaded and and became accustomed to the type of whooping that an Urban Meyer slash Ryan Day team would lay down on on Michigan. In Harbaugh's first year, there were a lot of people coming into that Ohio State game who believed Michigan was playing better football, and they kind of were. Ohio State s- struggled down the stretch that year, played a a in a game that was as bad as any team. Any wow, how do I phrase this? It was a terrible performance against Michigan State. Some of the worst offensive play calling I've ever seen by good offensive play callers to this day makes no sense. And there were a lot of people that felt that Michigan coming into that game might have had an opportunity to win. I don't think they were favored, but there were a lot of people that thought that they were going to win. And obviously that was kind of the first glimpse into uh, what has become, uh, unfortunately, kind of a traditional beatdown in this rivalry sans, you know, 2016 and, and the you know first three quarters of the 2017 game. And I, I still can't believe that that play happened. I, I think I've mentioned it before, but I was uh, like Anthony. I was working that game. I was interning at Fox 17 in Grand Rapids, and I was there shooting. And I was shooting uh, Michigan's offense all day. So I was uh, facing the offense. So I was facing Blake O'Neill, you know, behind the Michigan State defense. And I'm filming it, and I'm locked in on him. And I, you have a hard time seeing what happens with all those bodies, and you're, like, looking through a camera. You know, and, and all of a sudden, everyone's going the other way. And I like dropped my camera and I looked up at the big bar. I was like, what is going on here? I didn't understand what was happening. I thought he was going to be chased down, but lo and behold, he, he certainly wasn't, man. That was, uh, if you're a Michigan fan, that is a, and a Michigan State fan, that is a, you know exactly where you were at that moment type moment. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> Word can confirm. So that is our first Michigan football what if. What if Blake O'Neill just gets the punt off cleanly? Anthony, what do you got for uh, for a good what if? Yeah, mine I'm this is definitely stretching the rules of this exercise here, but I'm gonna do it anyways. What if Jim Harbaugh quarterbacks just stayed healthy? More specifically, what if promising young quarterbacks didn't get concussed at Wisconsin? in 2017 with Brandon Peters and in 2019 with Dylan McCaffrey. Um, 2017 was a rough year. And to a certain, at a certain point uh, when a guy like John O'Corn struggles against Rutgers, you had to turn the page and start looking to the future. That's when that season became about 2017 or 2018 and beyond. And they did the right thing when they went to Brandon Peters and Peters, like the numbers were what they were. Um, 
he played like a, a young quarterback, but there was promise. There was promise there. And it seemed like when he started to when he started to click a little bit, we started to see him um, you know, be on the same page with a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones and some of the other receivers that were there um, as pieces in 2017. He gets lit up at Wisconsin. And you get not only do you get knocked out of that game and you lose, you weren't favored to win anyways, but then it takes the shine, it takes the the hope, it takes everything out of next week's game against Ohio State, which you still almost won with. I think with a healthy Brandon Peters at quarterback in that game, I think that you win that game. Um, you know, he was literally the perfect example of just being a quarterback away. Now, what he did come back. He played in the whatever bowl game that was. Was it the Outback Bowl? I forget. Yeah, um, yeah, against the South Outback Carolina. Bowl against South Carolina. Peters comes back and plays and didn't really play great, but the offensive line was putrid that day. Um, And he was never quite, I can't say he was never quite the same. Uh, That kind of changed the trajectory of where Michigan went at quarterback these last few years. They decided to pursue a guy who became available in Shea Patterson. And um, not only was Brandon Peters not the backup the next year, he was the, I think that at some point he started camp injured it was the third or fourth quarterback by the time uh, you know, he'd been passed by Dylan McCaffrey. So that takes one guy off the table. Then you fast forward to 2019. You're in a new offense. Everyone was struggling. But Shea Patterson in particular was playing really bad football to start the season. I mean, there's no sugarcoating that. So they go to Wisconsin. Shea Patterson has probably the worst half of football he's ever played. So and they're down 35-0 at the half or whatever it was at the half. I forget. I just remember we were at Jim Brady's. You go to Dylan McCaffrey in the second half and you start to move the ball a little bit. It's again it at that point it you just wanted to see promise of something. And then what happens? Dylan McCaffrey gets knocked out with a nasty concussion. He's out for a month. So on two occasions where you were ready to turn the page from lackluster quarterback play to go to, and this is where the narrative that Jim Harbaugh can't coach and develop quarterbacks comes in. He, he, they've tried to turn, both times they tried turning the page, a cosmic force of, nah, not today, like came down on them. And then you think back to 2016. Well, I, I think if Wilton Spate stays healthy, you probably, I mean, maybe you still lose that game at Iowa, but have a lot better chance to win that game at Ohio State too. He was not healthy at a, a cracked collarbone. So I'm not letting Jim Harbaugh off the hook for what's happened at the quarterback position, but I can't help but think how the narrative might be different if these young guys like we're we're heading into 2020. This is year 6, and this is the first guaranteed time we are going to see a Jim Harbaugh recruited quarterback ride out the season. Um and again, it will either cement what people are saying about his uh, his skills developing guys there, or it will uh, you know it'll change the narrative, and they will have something there to be proud of. Um, you know, it, I just think it's kind of telling that six years in, we don't really have those answers yet because forces beyond his control kind of came down on them. So that's um, it's kind of a bigger picture what if, but it's one I think about quite a bit. It, uh, it it's interesting to to play that mind exercise 
for sure, because I think we think that if Brandon Peters plays in that Ohio State game in 2017, they've got a real chance to win. I mean, they had a real chance to win with John O'Corn in there. Uh, This past year is is really interesting to me because Dylan McCaffrey, I, I don't think he gives up the job. You know, like like you mentioned, I don't think Shea Patterson become is the starting quarterback anymore. And what does Michigan's rest of their season look like? Because as we know, Michigan took a turn in the second half of that Penn State game. Do they still take that offensive turn with Dylan McCaffrey? We don't know. But what we do know is that there's no real quarterback position battle coming into 2020. It, it would be Dylan McCaffrey's job where we still have questions whether it's going to be McCaffrey and Joe Milton. So I, it, really, really fascinating to look back, you know, 2017 because they had they had a chance to potentially beat Ohio State, but the season was lost. Whereas this past year, the season was pretty much lost after Wisconsin still. But do they still make that big upgraded turn? What do we think about Josh Gaddis if they don't? You know, there, there's a lot of what ifs tied to that Wisconsin game this past year. Matt, Anthony, and both of you guys make really, really good points, especially with uh, the McCaffrey situation. Because, like, I was as vocal of the three of us. I was the most vocal in believing that, or my hope, my belief that Shea Patterson should be the quarterback last season. And I, I wanted that. That was a hopeful thing because I wanted that statement to turn into, okay, if Shea is the quarterback from day one, it means he's the best guy on the roster. I want consistency here. It would be the first time in the Harbaugh era in which we'd seen a quarterback be the quarterback here for more than one year straight. Obviously, Spate started the season in 2017 as a QB and got injured and then kind of sort of got beat out. Um, That is a really good point you make about McCaffrey, and I didn't Man, I didn't. I hadn't really thought about it because they were. If McCaffrey plays well in the second half of that game, you kind of reach the point. Sadly, even though it was only what game three, you kind of reach the point that you reached in 2017, where you say, "All right, well, what's best for the future right now?" Because I, man, I forget, and I've defended Shea more than probably anybody, probably like too much at points. Boy, boy, man, because I don't think he was healthy at the beginning of the year either, but, man, he was not playing good football at all. What was he, 14 for 31 on that day in Madison? That's pitiful. Most of those completions and most of those yards coming in garbage time. Um, I think the how we look at this program as a whole, especially the quarterback position, could have completely changed uh, if McCaffrey comes in against Wisconsin, plays well, stays healthy, and then maybe plays some pretty good football o- over the last – eight games or so, I think more people, including myself, would be kind of confident coming into the season that, hey, we got we have a good, consistent quarterback, whereas right now, especially um, um, among, amidst this whole pandemic, we aren't really, sh- we, we kind of have an idea of who the guy is going to be. We kind of think it's going to be McCaffrey, but no one who's really taken meaningful snaps. So um, I think good points all around re- regarding uh, the health of some of these QBs and how it's impacted the the future of the program. Yeah. So and, and one last point oh, on that. Ahead, Anthony, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Just the last, just to wrap up on that point. Um, now that we know the totality of what that season looks like 2019, you went nine and four. I can't, I mean, we kept saying the best quarterback needs to play. Um, do you think, and I don't want to get too off topic here, but just just say McCaffrey does stay healthy. I kind of think that, the floor, if he stays healthy and stays at quarterback, is kind of about where they are anyways. Because can you really think of a game where Shea Patterson – I mean, 
Shea Patterson himself, it's like, okay, wow, he won them that game. Um, you could argue Illinois, um, Notre Dame, they ran for a bunch of yards and, and just beat the tar out of uh, out of. I think, uh, I think Michigan Irish. State, he was by far and away the MVP of that game. Which Who's game? That? Michigan State. Yeah, uh, Michigan State and Indiana were his two best games he ever played here. But I think yeah. I, even so, and they w- look forty in a thirty-four point win against State. I'll take it every day of the week. That was some of the most fun I ever had watching football. But I think with uh, Dylan McCaffrey there, or even Joe Milton, um, they, they win that game. Same with Indiana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just saying win loss. Like if it's a one point win or a forty point win, like I don't think the win loss record changes all that much. So. Right, maybe uh, that that concussion I think looms even larger because I think that you could have done about the same and had some equity built into this year. That's all. Yeah, oh, very much so. I one hundred percent. Like I said, uh, there would be no discussion on who's the quarterback this year. You know, if McCaffrey doesn't go down with a concussion, and the real question looms is, you know, McCaffrey. He's yeah, he got hurt. His first year uh, that he got to see the field with that broken collarbone, this yeah. past year, the concussion, how much are, are these going to pile on and, and add up to his effectiveness? You know, yeah. so a lot of a lot of questions uh, regarding that. And as I move to mind, so we had a little kind of production meeting. We, we mentioned what we were going to do. Production I'm going to pivot here, guys. I, I apologize for this, but I'm <laughs> going to pivot because I was down to two. And since you both did football ones, I do want to do a basketball one because – I originally had, what if Sean Crable doesn't hit Troy Smith helmet to helmet in 06? It was third and 15, seven minutes to go, Michigan down four. Uh, the pass was incomplete. Michigan's getting the ball back with a chance to go down and score late. That's a big what if, but at the end of the day, I think Michigan gets beat by Florida in the national championship. You know what I'm yeah, saying? For sure. Um, my big question here is, all right, so we all look at 2013 in Michigan basketball, right? Like that was the the big step for John Beeline in that program. Well, prior to that, the year before, you know, Michigan, what was it, a five-way tie for a Big Ten championship in the regular season? You know, it's a good year. They have Big Ten freshman of the year, Trey Burke, a great class coming in. Trey Burke wrestled with the idea to jump to the NBA after his freshman year. What is the Michigan program look like in the future if Trey Burke makes that decision? Because you go into 2013, and Trey Burke from game one, is going crazy. He ends up winning National Player of the Year. They go to the National Championship game. But without him, what does that team look like? I mean, they had a great recruiting class, but Mitch McGarry, he played sporadically. He was the, the big name in that recruiting class. It ended up being Glenn Robinson eventually. But Mitch McGarry's the guy, and he doesn't play a whole lot until the tournament. That's when he really started to pick it up. I mean, you you lose him. Who do you have playing point guard? Do you, you have Spike playing point guard from the get-go as yeah. a true freshman? And does Tim Hardaway stay if Trey Burke goes to the NBA draft? Like, if Trey Burke doesn't stay coming into his sophomore year, what is the residual effect on Michigan basketball down the line? You know, do they have that uh, another great year in 2014 in which they win the Big Ten regular season championship like there. I feel like that would have had a domino effect that would have really hurt Michigan basketball for maybe three to four years down the line. Uh, I would say more years than that. I I mean, I don't I've said this many times and obviously like Trey Burke was was my hero in high school, but um, I don't think Michigan's ever had a player maybe Cassie Russell who's been as important to the program as Trey Burke was. I mean, he was the guy who. Uh, was the catalyst 
for people starting to believe that Michigan basketball could be legit again. And I think uh, you raise a lot of questions. I think what we would have seen uh, is a whole lot of Spike Albert. I mean, I, I remember people when Spike was in year two, people were like, God, it seems like that guy's been there forever. Well, if they were sick of him then, they would have gotten even more sick of him because I think he probably would have sta- he probably would have started. Now, the next season, when you bring in Derek Walton, um, who knows, maybe Spike gets moved to the bench. But from what I remember, if I'm trying to think back to the timeline, it was oh so long ago now. Uh, but I, from what I remember, Bur- or, uh, Spike was brought in right around the time that Burke was considering whether or not he was going to go pro. And I think that was for uh, several reasons. One, it was a good backup to have um, in case Burke did come back. But two, it was a an, almost kind of an emergency thing just in case Burke did go pro. You needed a guy who you could put into the starting lineup. And I love Spike. We all love Spike. Spike, Spike Albert's a, a Michigan legend. But let's let's not kid ourselves. Him starting as a freshman in what was a loaded Big Ten in 2013, starting from day one, uh, wouldn't have gone well. And I think the the ceiling for that team would have been much much lower. I mean, a se- second weekend uh, would have kind of been a miracle. So it's uh, who knows if we even talk about the John Beeline. We don't talk about the John Beeline era uh, with the same level of of satisfaction that that we would. Uh, that we would have talked about it had Burke uh, decided to to go pro after one year. Yeah, I mean, you said uh, Mitch McGarry was the crown jewel. Glenn Robinson wound up being the crown jewel. Um, I've got one for you. Uh, Karis LeVert was the lowest rated player in that 2012 class. He was the 239th ranked player. He was ranked lower than Spike Albrecht, and um, he wound up being the best player of – of uh, Glenn Robinson, Mitch McGarry, Nick Stauskas, Spike, and Karras. So, yeah, that well, class, well, there's there's another interesting what if there. I mean, they pretty much yeah. hit home runs throughout that class. And, and you know, Karras, yeah, what if he stays healthy? But Karras wouldn't have even gone to Michigan had John Gross not taken the Illinois job from Ohio. And John Gross yeah. probably doesn't even get offered the Illinois job without knocking off Michigan in the first round the year prior. <laughs> That's so right. So in man. a way, in a way, I think we're, we're kind of glad that happened, I guess. <laughs> in a roundabout way, it actually ended up working out well for Michigan, man. Uh, yeah. Just so many what ifs. What were, what were some other what ifs that you guys had that we that we didn't, you know, you didn't think were the top of the list, but some interesting what ifs. Obviously, we, we no one went with the spot because, I mean, we've all dissected that it's too a obvious. thousand times. I can't, I can't talk about that anymore, honestly. Right. I'm sick of it. it it's, it's too obvious, and it's a very simple what if because it doesn't get it. Michigan goes to the playoff. That's kind of – End of discussion. The legacies involved and the kind of what ifs aren't as prevalent. It's kind of a very simple moment that that doesn't open itself up to that much discussion. That's more of a it's almost more of a conspiracy theory than it is a what if, because the prevailing thought is that the officials were out to get Michigan and things like that. Um, And I think that's what the fan base remembers most about about it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, other others that I considered um, I'm trying to think there's one I saw in, like, what if really simple stuff? What if the two point conversion against Ohio state in 2013 works? Uh, yeah. you know, that's two out of three for Brady Hoke, uh, in that Here's- series and one, one on urban Meyer. I mean, could Brady Hoke have really 
put a dent into the Urban Meyer era. Uh, he wasn't that far off from it. You know, even that 2012 game, um, that one kind of got away from him in the second half too. So um, there's well, a lot of interesting. Of, there's a lot of interesting of, ones. Yeah, speaking of two point conversions and going with that, Anthony, what if in 2018, the week before Michigan plays Ohio State to go to the Big Ten Championship. What if Maryland executes a wide open? What if the guy, what if the Maryland quarterback hits a wide open player for the two point conversion, knocks off Ohio State, Michigan's guaranteed to go to the Big Ten Championship and they still go get stomped in Columbus. What is the what if on that? What are we thinking about the 2018 season if that happens? Don't care. Went to Indy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I have. I have I have two actually that come to mind real quickly. One was brought up to me by uh, a couple of years ago by my old boss and, and former mentor uh, Jack Ebling, who said that uh, what if Jabril Peppers doesn't obviously accidentally break Brian Lewerke's leg in 2016 because that three and nine Michigan State team took Ohio State down to the last minute of that game scored, went for two to try to go ahead, and Tyler O'Connor, I think, either threw a bad pass or threw an interception. He made the argument that Michigan State wins that game with Lewerke at quarterback, thus Michigan would have gone to Indy. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but that's another one. But another uh, big one, too. What if, in 2007, uh, Sean Crable, who I think was in that game at the very end, holds the block on the Appalachian State defender, uh, and Michigan kicks that field goal to avoid the upset of Appalachian State. What would have? What type of effect would it have had on that season? Obviously, that team was really loaded. I mean, st- tons of talent on that 07 team, and that you barely saw the kick, you know, go up in the air. Who knows if it would have gone in or not? If they would have been able to hold the blocks. But the next week, Michigan, in one of the worst examples of a hangover that I've ever seen in sports, got their doors blown off by Oregon. And Oregon was very good that year. Dennis Dixon was a Heisman candidate. They weren't weren't beating Oregon no matter what, I don't think, to be honest with you. Jonathan Stewart had himself a day, too. Yeah, probably not. But but it was very obvious that they – they well, probably would have lost to Oregon once, but it also came across like they they lost to Appalachian State twice in that, well, in that game. Well, I mean, they, they, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Kurt. Sorry. Uh, well, well, no, the, the, the point I was I was saying is like you even with uh, as awful as things started for that team that year, mm-hmm. they still went into the Ohio State game a win away from going to the Rose Bowl, and they they didn't. They, the offense was terrible. They lost fourteen to three. But let's say you get one or two more wins. Uh, and you end up sneaking your way to a Rose Bowl in what was turned out to be one of the more disappointing seasons in Michigan football history, uh, you avoid becoming uh, what was a, a massive punchline for a whole lot of opposing fan bases. Uh, it still in, is. It still is, yeah, uh, in that, that Appalachian uh, state loss. You know, I think a lot of these moments, uh, a lot of these painful memories uh, would have prevented some some of the most historic uh, endings in the history of college football. Well, I'll go off that with you, Chris. What if you know they? What if they don't lose to Appalachian State, and the year plays out exactly the same after that? They lose to Oregon. They lose to Ohio State at the end of the year. If they beat Appalachian State, it, the season plays out the exact way following that. Is that still Lloyd Carr's last year? I think so. I I think he was. That's a really good question. I think he was a bit burned out, and I, I, I even way little pipsqueak Chris in fifth, sixth grade had this uh, theory 
that I'm sure I was I was annoying people with uh, on the playground back back at at St. Gerard Elementary. Um, that Lloyd Lloyd's last year was going to be 07 because that was also kind of the end of the Henny and Hart and Jake Long era as well. And I f- and Manningham obviously went pro and Arrington. They were going to lose so much. I feel like for him to have come back. If he was gonna in 08, he would have kind of had to have stayed at least one or two more years to kind of finish out that era. I feel like 07 with the the amount of talent that was leaving was kind of a perfect bookend to his his career. Yeah, and what if simply Rich Rod chooses Alabama? Yeah. Wow. What if Kirk yeah, how much changes there? Leak? What if Kirk Kerbster didn't leak uh, less miles to Michigan and ne- nuke the negotiations? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I, He's probably were... still coaching here and everyone's still bitching about not having an offense that's into the future. So <laughs> right. They'd still be throwing that. What did what did he used to do at LSU, man? He used to like run just power formation and he ran that like toss dive like the quarterback would turn around toss it uh to the running back but it wasn't outside the tackles it was still inside the tackles it, it was just the weirdest thing i remember ever seeing oh man that would have been i don't know if he's still coaching here but oh my goodness we'd have had to endure some some, some tough years probably uh anything else you guys want to touch on? i'll put this i'll put it this way given the administration that followed uh in terms of who ran the athletic department and things like that, I, I tend to believe that Les Miles, if he would have come to Michigan, might have been one of the biggest, more spectacular. I think here's a hot take for you. We're not doing a hot take episode, but um, I think if Les Miles came to Michigan, it might have ended uglier than Rich Rod at Michigan. Uh, Could have. Probably a few more wins, but Les Miles is a guy who uh, – has a tendency to ruffle some feathers. So I could, I could have seen uh, things, the tensions between him and the administration and maybe some of the players getting ugly. Yeah. It's fun to think about. It It is. It is, but it is what it is at this point. So Chris, I think that'll wrap things up. Chris, let us know uh, where we can find you on social media. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. My other podcast, Locked on Tigers, uh, which I do for Locked on Podcasts. Uh, you can find the links to that uh, on my Twitter page, and you can follow that show's Twitter at Locked on Tigers. And uh, I announced today that I am going to be back permanently on YouTube doing uh, movie reviews, the link to my YouTube page will be in uh, my Twitter bio here real soon. And if you want to see me on Instagram updating stories as well, that's Chris Castle 95. That's C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-T-L-E-9-5. Please follow me on all those platforms. Anthony, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. You can follow the website at Maze and Brew. You know this already, though. You can get our shows wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good places. We're on Twitch now. Follow Maze and Brew on Twitch. Going to continue my quest towards getting our 2K Wolverines into the NBA playoffs probably uh, throughout the week. So definitely follow that. I have some, you know, if we can get to 100 followers there by the end of the week, I've got a bunch of T-shirts to give away. So uh, that could be fun. Um, yeah, that's that's what we're working on right now. So it's What If Week. We'll have some other stuff coming on that as a website. Uh, but other than that, we're uh, 
it's hard to believe we're almost kind of almost into mid-May. So just keep trucking along. Stay positive. Keep going, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Gierdi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. And like Anthony said, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review as well. We appreciate any and all feedback. So that's going to do it for us here on Brewcast Show this week. Had a lot of fun on this episode and already looking forward to next week. For Chris Castellani and Anthony Broom, I'm Luke Gierdi, and we'll see you next week on Brewcast.